there isn't anything, then I would ask you to turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, we are only going to be reading the first four verses today. The title for the message today is, Who is Your Friend? Who is Your Friend? James writes, beginning in verse 1, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. George Washington is quoted as to having said at one point to associate with men of good quality if you esteem your own reputation. Another quote about friendship that we probably all heard is, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Another quote that I don't know that I fully agree with, but I think the sentiment has got an, a, certainly a grain of truth, is that you're really the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Our friends, your friends, are to be carefully chosen carefully chosen we're to be friendly with all we're to strive to live at peace even with those who we would call our enemy we are to be kind we are to be loving but we are to choose our friends carefully we are to choose those who influence us carefully here in James he is talking to us about choosing either the world as our friend or God as our friend. And ultimately, we will live in this world. We will live with God as our friend or the world as our friend. And this reality repeats itself from day to day. Because I walked with God yesterday as my friend does not mean that today I will. And, and on the other side of the coin, because I failed, perhaps, and because I took my eyes off of God and I, I lived as a friend of the world yesterday, does not mean that I have to today. Every day is new. It's made new. We don't escape consequences of past behaviors. We, we don't. The, the Bible's clear. What we sow, we reap. We know this to be true, but our friends are to be chosen with the greatest of care and here we are told that we are either going to choose God as our friend or we're going to choose the world. We cannot choose both. Not ultimately. We can't choose both because God won't allow that and neither will the world. The world's going to demand that you choose the world as your friend, not God. And God is going to demand that you choose him and not the world. You see, these two things, the world and God, these 
two entities, God himself and the world in which we live, they want opposite things. They don't want the same thing for you or from you. They want 180 degrees different things from you. And to think that you can be a friend of the world and to be a friend of God, I thought as we were driving here, this idea uh, came as we were traveling here this morning. I thought it to, to think that one can be a friend of the world and that that is going to be a good thing and a helpful thing is kind of like Neville Chamberlain thinking that Hitler could be his friend. Negotiate with a man who wanted 180 degrees different what the rest of the world wanted. A man who had evil intentions, as dark perhaps as the world has ever seen. But there was Chamberlain thinking that he could be a friend of this man. And his myopathy, if you might call it that, his short-sightedness, his desire to get along with a murderer caused him to make some very poor decisions. And I think as well, when we desire to make the world our friend, we try to be friends with the world, we too make some very poor decisions. We make them, and we make them knowingly even sometimes, but we have evidences, I think, that the Scripture gives us here as to which one is indeed our friend, either the world or God. You see, words alone don't define this. Words alone do not make us a friend of God. They don't make us a friend of the world. Words by themselves, they don't have that power. There are evidences. There are things that are evident in our life. Friendship with the world will make you look like the world, think like the world, behave like the world. And you'll fit in just fine with most of the world. And you won't have a lot of trouble with the world, it seems. You'll get along. That. Now, you won't be satisfied with that. There'll be things that we're going to talk about in a moment that continue to vex you and cause you trouble. But if you're going to be a friend of the world, you're going to have to share some things in common with the world. You're going to have to want some of the same things that the world wants. You know, just as inevitably as you act like your friends, and you do, we do, we're all influenced by them, you will act like the world if the world is your friend. If this world is your friend, and that friendship with the world will impact every area of your life. All of them. There'll be no nook or cranny, there'll be no stone left unturned. Friendship with the world will become an all-consuming thing in your life. And I want you to know that the world has no good intention for you. It is not concerned with you. It's concerned with itself. But even here, the strength of James' words in these verses, they tell us the jarring truth. The jarring truth that you're going to have to choose. Friendship with the world or friendship with God, and you can't combine the two. These are jarring words, especially to us today. We don't, we don't like to phrase things like James does here. We don't like to think about this like he presents it to us today. But we are either a friend of the world or we are a friend of God. We, we cannot at the same time be a friend of both. Now, again, don't misunderstand. This does not mean that we must live in open hostility to others in the world. I don't think it does. 
In fact, we're told that as much as it is possible for us, as much as it lies within you, the scriptures say, we are to live peaceably with all. We're to be, again, kind to all. We're not to disconnect ourselves entirely from the world because Jesus said he intentionally left us here in the world. But the question remains, will the world be our friend or are we going to make God our friend? Again, we are to love even our enemies, but loving our enemies does not make them our friend. Loving your enemy does not require of you to make them your friend. These are, this is difficult stuff. This is hard medicine, I know. This is, this is, these are words that are not popular in the mindset of people today, particularly here in the United States and other places like it. We want to be friends to both. But according to this passage of Scripture, we cannot be. We cannot be. This is not my assessment. This is not my judgment. This is the judgment of the Word of God, plainly and clearly teaching us this truth. God says that to make yourself a friend of the world is to make yourself an enemy of His. So you see, we are between two. We're going to choose. And we're going to choose every day again and again and again. And we're going to choose ultimately... We might say more about this later. There is a point in time in your life, I pray, that you chose to make God your friend and you turned from the world, that world that you then all of a sudden understood that it had nothing good for you, no interest on your behalf in its mind and heart, but God does and God did and God sent His Son to die for you so that you might be His friend. And I pray that there was a moment in time when you became God's friend. You met Him, and you not only met Him, but you trusted Him. You confessed your sin. You asked Him for forgiveness. He forgave you, and that burden was replaced with peace. And you became the friend of God. And from that day until now, I pray that there is a desire in your heart to make God even a greater friend to you. And that every day as you awake, that there is a hope in your heart that today I will make God my friend. I will choose Him above the world. I pray there was a moment in time when that happened. And if there is, I want you to understand though that when each morning when you awake, and it as is as though you become alive again because as asleep, you're unconscious. You don't know what's going on around you. But then God awakens you again and gives you a new day. That new day, this day, tomorrow, it'll be another opportunity to choose who is my friend. This world? Am I going to be friendly and fr be friends with the world or am I going to be a friend of God? And I have to present it to you as the Scriptures present it to me and to us all. To choose the world is to make yourself an enemy of God. It's just as plain as it can be. Now, we have some evidences that we can look at our lives and examine them and, and understand who, who it is between these two, the world or God, that I am making my friend and he says in verses 1 and 2, these, we see these evidences. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? 
again, you see, friendship with the world demands that we want the same things that the world wants. It just demands that. Friendship with the world demands that we behave and think like the world thinks and behaves. It, it just does. In order to be friends with anyone, there has to be some sort of mutual agreement between the two. Does there not? I think we even hear this and read this in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, when Amos is listing a bunch and, 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 and asking one after the other of rhetorical questions. And one of those rhetorical questions that he asks is this, do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? The King James says it this way, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? So as we choose our friend, either God or the world, if we choose the world to do that, we're going to have to desire and want the same things that the world wants. So there can be some evidence here in my life as I can examine my own heart and my own life as to who it is that I am making my friend. Do I want the same things the world wants or do I want the same things that God wants? Do I want the money of the world, the riches, the treasures? Do I want the power that the world offers? Do I, do I want those things that Satan tempted our Lord with when he took him up to the temple and he showed him all that Satan said he could give to him? Do we want those things? Do we want our kingdom here? Do we want the power that comes with the world? Do we want the fame maybe that the world offers or the ease? That's probably more of what we would want. I don't know that too many of us, honestly, are all that interested in fame. And I don't know that we're really all that interested in becoming a billionaire. But I think we are all interested, are we not, in ease and comfort in the world. We want the world's comfort. We want the world's security. We want what, sadly, has become a distorted version of the American dream. We want it. We want the world. And so we become friends with the world. But the Bible tells us if we make ourselves the friend of the world, we have made ourselves at the same time the enemy of God. So who is your friend? Every day that you awake, who are you going to walk with in this life as your friend? We can become so friendly with the world that we begin to think, by the way, that the things that the world offers us, we have a right to. All the money and the comfort and the power and the ease and all of those things. And is that not it, it, even in a political idea, this idea that we are owed things simply because we're alive, that these things are owed to us. Politicians today, they are capitalizing on this basic human condition that, that and they're sowing their discord and division, all of them, one after another, of this idea that you can have all that the world has to offer. And if, if you don't have it, the next step is they'll convince you that, well, then someone else must have taken it from you or is keeping it from you. And the problem is not that somebody's keeping it from you. The problem is you've made the, fr the world your friend. That's who you want to walk with. That's who we want to be with rather than God. And so convinced that the lack of all that we want is the result of someone else taking it from us, the Bible says, James says here, we have conflict. Where, do con where does conflict come from? Does it not come, he says, from the worldliness, the desires of your heart for the things of the world? Isn't that where it comes from? 
You see, we live in a world of limited resources, but seemingly limitless desires. We live in a world of limited resources. There's only so much to go around. That's just true. But if today you are walking as a friend of the world, I want to give you something to think about. If you don't already know these things to be true, you will someday. And so I want to save you some time and some hurt and some disappointment if I can. And I pray that the Spirit of God does. And he convinces you of the truth of some of these things that will be said today. But I want to tell you this, these things. The belly that wants nothing but the world is never full. The mind that wants nothing but the world is never certain. The heart that wants nothing but the world is never at peace. And the body that wants nothing but the pleasures of this world is never satisfied. This world is not your friend, even if you want to make it yours. You will never be satisfied with this world. So to be a friend of the world is to throw your life into an unending state of conflict and dissatisfaction. So make God your friend. Look to him not this world. Now, these things alone, I think, should be enough to convince us that friendship with the world rather than God is a poor choice, but it gets worse still if we keep reading. As James continues, we find that the limitless and never satisfied worldly desires are a root sin to a great many other sins, and even he lists, James does here, murder. Worldly desire will lead you to greater and greater sin in your life. If you already know God, I want to warn you about this. I want you to understand this. And if you don't know God, I want you to know that if you continue to fill yourself with the worldly things of this life, it will separate you further and further from God. Because you see, the limitless and never satisfied worldly desires that we have, they will send us into all manner of other things, was not desire the root sin in David's life that led him to murder Uriah. What you desire in the world, it will not end there if you continue to entertain it, if you continue to make it your friend. It will sow its seeds of corruption in your heart and in your mind and in your life, and you will go to places you never imagined you would go. So please don't make this world your friend. It's not your friend. James ask here a rhetorical question about where disputes and fights come from. The answer clearly is worldly desires that war within us. And I might say something about this again later, but James again, remember, he's talking to fellow believers. He's talking to the, he's writing to the same people that in previous chapters he's called brothers. Now he calls them something very different, but he calls them brothers who he's writing to. James is asking his brethren, his fellow believers, what causes wars in your life and disputes and fights? Is it not the worldly desires within us? You see, there is a warfare going on right now within you over who you are going to choose as your friend right now. There's a war going on inside of you and inside of me. And it rages anew every day until one day that I set this life down And I no longer have to battle this. I no longer have to fight this battle any longer. I can lay this sin down. 
But while I am here, this warfare is ongoing. If you're surprised by that, I want you to not be surprised. The only thing worse than being engaged by the enemy is to be surprised when you are. This enemy will continue to sow seeds in your mind and heart of this earthly tabernacle, this flesh, this carnal mind that still remains with us, and it will sow its seeds inside of you to cause you to want to make the world your friend. But this warfare is going on. It's a warfare that for those who know God, listen, this warfare, the war has been won. The war has been won. It was won by Christ on the cross for you. Christ, if He is your friend, He will be your friend for eternity. He made you and He shaped you and He formed you and He changed you and He made your soul to be right with Him and it's always going to be right with Him. You see, so in some ways, this war is over. But the battles continue to rage, do they not, in our everyday life. When God saved me, He made me His. I am His friend. He is my friend. That is going to always and forever be true. But while I remain in this life, there is a choice I must make every day whether I'm going to make the world my friend or I am going to walk with God as the friend that He already is. It's a warfare that for me, and I praise God this is true, for me this war has been ultimately won. It was won not by me. It is going to be won not because of my goodness or my holiness or my uh, um, understanding even of Scripture. It was won by Christ. He won it for me. He's my friend. He's going to bring me to heaven one day, and I'm going to look at my friend, Jesus Christ the Lord, and He's going to say, Come and enter in, you blessed of my Father. And I'm going to walk with Him as a friend like I could never imagine walking here. But while I am here, I make this choice every day. The war has been won, but the battles remain left to be fought in my life. You know, Maybe you've heard of this, probably many have. There were what were called Japanese holdout soldiers after World War II, scattered in those islands of the Pacific. Literally, I think the last official Japanese soldier to surrender. Uh, the, the, the emperor had surrendered in August of 1945. The war was over. These soldiers didn't know it. And the last recorded official holdout soldier, 1974. Continued to fight battles. The war had already been won and had already been lost. But the battles continued to rage. These soldiers, either they were unwilling to admit that the war had been lost or they were simply unaware that it had been lost, but they continued fighting a war that had already been won decades before. This is how it is for every child of God as well. The war's been won, but the battles remain. The war's been won. It's been 2,000 years ago when our Lord died on the cross for the sins of the world and rose again three days later, having justified and satisfied the law of God, paving the way for, of salvation for all men. Yet the enemies of God, the world, namely Satan, the angels that followed him and fallen man himself, they continue to fight, do they not? Oh, the, indeed they do. And the fight is every day who we're going to make our friend. Make no mistake, for anyone who encountered those holdout Japanese soldiers on the Pacific Islands years after Japan's surrender, their guns still worked and the bullets still took lives. 
though Japan had officially surrendered and lost the war, the bullets fired by those soldiers did not care. In the same way, though Satan has lost the war, he can still wreak havoc in your life. The bullets still draw blood. The things that he would desire to do to you and even with you remain. Worldly desires and the friendship of the world will always be deadly to us while we remain in these bodies and living in this world. It will always remain deadly. And James knew that. And God told him to tell us this. Friendship with the world. You make yourself an enemy of God. You can't be a friend to both. So I ask you today, what worldly desires are raging inside your heart? What friendship with the world have you been courting? I pray none, but I also think for all of us that that probably isn't true. Make God your friend. Who is your friend today? Once you've identified those things that have been warring inside you, I believe that you will have also identified the cause of the conflict and fighting in your life. I do. I, I think that's part of it. Not all of it, of course. The world is going to bring us trouble, and it's going to bring us conflict, unasked, unbid, unprovoked. But much of the trouble and struggle in our life, I think it's because of this warfare that goes on in our own hearts. Now, before moving on, I want you to note carefully what these two verses are saying about coveting. I, I think it's just important enough to call it out. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, in verse 2, and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. There is what we might call a vicious cycle to coveting and making the world your friend, to covet the things of the world. To covet something if you look up the word and you study what it means, to covet something is to desire something that belongs to someone else. To covet is to desire something that belongs to someone else. Do you see now why he says you covet and cannot obtain? You cannot obtain because what you're after doesn't belong to you. Even if you are successful, and by the way, I don't think most of the time you will be, even if you are successful at obtaining the thing that you covet, all that you have done is add thievery to your list of sins because you've taken something that does not belong to you and you've taken something that belongs to someone else. And I believe this goes for things, of course. Even in the scriptures, we have this example, not to covet your neighbor's wife, things that, uh, not to covet the things that your neighbor has. And we ought not covet the house of our neighbor and the, the cars that our neighbors drive or, or that the world presents. We ought not to covet those things. They don't belong to us. And if we take them, we've taken what does not belong to us. And while that applies to things and worldly, earthly treasures, for whatever reason, God brought this idea and this thought to me that also applies to lives in general. Don't covet the life of the world. Anyone's life. Don't covet someone else's life. It's not yours. And if you covet it and somehow you do all that you can and you obtain that life that you want, that you coveted, that somebody else had, you're living a stolen life, not the one God intended for you to live. Who's your friend 
Are you coveting the things in the world? Are you desiring them? Or have you coveted the things of the world and you have stolen even perhaps things that don't belong to you? If you do that, I want to encourage you and warn you, you simply have invited more fighting and quarreling into your life as you attempt to hang on to what isn't yours. And lastly, on this thought, before we move on, this might seem unrelated, but I, I think it is. Um, you know, just to covet all of those, whatever it is that you covet, it's going to essentially become friendship with the world. So live the life that God has given to you, not the one that he's given to someone else. Social media, I think, in this way is, is so dangerous and so damaging. It can be so effective at what marketers call the bait-and-switch tactic. Social media is just, it's a danger, and I don't want to just sound like a curmudgeon. I don't. But I want to warn you of its dangers, and others have as well. It's just a bait-and-switch campaign so much of the time. This marketing causes people to covet the lives of others to the point that they attempt to take for themselves a life they were never intended to live and in reality never could. I encourage you to look at Scripture to determine the life you ought to be living, not the world. Listen to, the, to God as your friend, not the world as your friend, as to, for counsel on how your life ought to be lived. So many people, social media, they embellish the good and hide the bad and and on the surface it looks like everything is so wonderful and and they're they're friends with the world and and things are just going swimmingly and they're just going wonderfully and you think to yourself i just want to be like that i want to live like that i want to be that happy i want to eat that kind of food i want to live in that kind of house i want to have that kind of job i want to have that kind of family and they they've embellished the truth and they've withheld uh, uh, or they've embellished the good and, and they've withheld the ugly and it can paint a picture that is as false as it can be but that picture as it's painted so often tempts us to make the world our friend but we are confronted with the very real truth that if the world is our friend then God is our enemy so who is your friend today moves on he says you do not have because you do not ask and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions now that the last sentence in verse 2 was not made the first sentence in verse 3 i believe is an unfortunate choice made when the bible was divided into verses by stephanus back in the 1500s i think it was a poor choice james clearly i don't think is arguing that the reason you do not have what you covet is because you haven't asked for it clearly we're not to covet at all Believe that that phrase, you do not have because you do not ask, should have started verse 3 rather than end verse 2. But let's leave that aside for a moment and just look at what is said here. It's a change of thought. This is of note again because it's here that there is a clear divide between what might be considered Eastern thought and Eastern religion and Christianity. Buddhism, or Eastern thought even in general, seems to make the connection. I think it makes the connection between suffering and worldly desire. I think they make that connection. I think, 
I think that's seen. But that's, that's where the commonality stops. Because what a Buddhist will then encourage you to do is to empty yourself of all desire. To ask for nothing. To want nothing. To be okay with emptiness. In fact, not only to be okay with it, but to seek it. But this is not the Christian message at all. This is not what James says in any way. Now, there's an obvious flaw, by the way, logically, to the, that Buddhist approach. That one is to desire to remove all desire. Even though you're desiring to remove all desire, therefore you can't remove all desire. But aside from that logical problem, there are other problems. There's a clear distinction here between the Christian mindset, the Christian view of this issue, and the worldly one. The Buddhists here would never resolve the problem of worldly desire by encouraging us to ask for anything, much less God. But this is the message that James gives. Ask God for what you need. Make Him your friend. Eastern mindset, perhaps again the Buddhist, their solution to the pain brought about by being a friend of the world is to choose no friend at all. To go through life with no desire except to have no desire. No goal except to have no goal. No anger, no sadness or frustration by having no feelings whatsoever. This is a way of thinking, I think, that can be hugely attractive to many, particularly those who are or have and are in the midst of terrible, great pain in their life. Anything but the pain. Emptiness before the pain. No friend if my only choice is the world or God. Emptiness and nothingness, that is a path to emptiness, obviously, but this is not what James says. This is not the solution offered by Scripture. And it's not the solution that speaks most deeply, I think, to the human soul. The response when you are let down by the world, when you've chosen it as your friend, is not merely to stop being friends with the world. It is to turn to God as your friend and call out to Him. And cry out to Him. When, when God and the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, the answer is not to withdraw from that. The answer is not to even just withdraw from the world. The answer is not to just sin a little less. The answer is not to just reform yourself and make yourself a good person. The answer is not to have other people think highly of you. The answer is not to withdraw from the things that the world would have you to do. Merely, the answer is to make God your friend. To seek Him to be truly and indeed friends with God. As you turn to God and desire His friendship rather than the world's, we need to note carefully what James says about this process. You will never have if you never ask, he says, and I think this is speaking of asking for things that your heart most desires. If you want to live a life as a friend of God and enjoy the benefits of such a life, and you want to walk away from the friendship with the world, but have found that difficult to do, then perhaps you just need to stop and ask God, your friend, for help. 
You want satisfaction in life? Then ask God for it. You want peace? Then ask God for it. Make Him your friend. You want to know what the meaning of life is? Like what your, the meaning of your life is? Then ask God. I want you to think about this. I heard and read this this past week. It's, it's a turn of the phrase. And maybe it's not doesn't say to you what it says to me. But I think this is something to think about. Instead of asking, what is the meaning and purpose of my life? Start asking, what is life's meaning and purpose for me? What is God's meaning and purpose for me? What does He want? What does He expect? What does He desire? Said another way, again, what is God's meaning and purpose for the life He has given to me? This is a slight change, but I think it changes everything. It takes the focus off of us and places it in a better place. Don't ask merely, what do I want out of life? Ask, what does life or what does God want from me? It changes the the equation and it changes the question and it asks it, I think, in a better way. So long as your questions center on you, you will be chasing an ever-moving target. So long as your questions center on you, it is though you have a gun in your hands and a, and a telescopic uh, sight on that gun with crosshairs and it's like you can see it and then what you think you want is in the crosshairs. And so long as you are the thing that you're seeking to, to please, that, that target is going to continually move. Constantly be moving. It'll be in the crosshairs, but before you could ever pull the trigger, it's moved. Not only do we not have, because we don't ask, but even when we ask, we don't receive because according to James, we ask wrongly. Maybe, maybe you've made it past the silence with God. Maybe you're, not, maybe you're no longer guilty of just not asking. But you've been asking and asking and asking and, and maybe you, you still haven't received and maybe you're beginning to get frustrated, and maybe you're beginning to question whether God is your friend after all or not. But again, you're past the point of not asking. And you're asking, but James says, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly, or as the King James puts it, amiss. Maybe you're asking God for whatever you're seeking every day. Every day you bring this request to Him. And I encourage you to do that and continue to. Yet, we must take care with how we do that. Perhaps it's time to stop asking and evaluate honestly what you're asking for and more importantly, why you're asking for it of your friend, God. Sometimes we're guilty of asking things of God so that according, as James says, we we can spend it on our own passions. The word spend here is an interesting word in the Greek. It, it means, literally, you translate it, it's to spend completely with the implication of uselessly. It's to squander it. We ask things of God so that we can take those things and squander them, spend them uselessly. They're things that once we even were given those things, if God hands them to us, they're not things that we would spend wisely. Maybe... You're asking God, and this is just an example. It's a simple one. But maybe you're asking God to increase your financial position. 
not so that you can give more to his cause or to missions or the church, but so that you can have a little more comfort and perceived security in this life and in this world. And I ask you if that's the case, who is your friend? Now, God might on occasion allow you to have the things that you ask for. We surely, though, can't expect God to give us something that we will end up wasting, can we? At least we shouldn't. Asking God to give you financial freedom so that you are more comfortable, easy, or prosperous is to ask for money that will ultimately be wasted. To spend it on your own passions. Friend of the world or friend of God. We have to choose. And again, I know, I know this is difficult stuff. I, I know in our minds today that it's difficult for us to, to hear this. But we can't change the words of Scripture. We can't change what the Holy Spirit inspired James to write some 2,000 years ago when he said, friendship with the world is to make yourself an enemy of God. And if we don't have, perhaps we're not asking. And if we don't have and we are asking, perhaps we're asking with the wrong motives and the wrong reasons. And he closes today, and I will close at least in verse 4. He doesn't close, but I will. Due to time's sake, in verse 4, you adulterous people. Why? Why is James so hard here? Why does he call his brethren you adulterous people? Isn't that... Just a little over the top. Don't you just want to kind of take James aside and say, ease off a little bit. Ease up. You just called your fellow believer in Christ an adulterer. It's not necessary, James. It's over the top. It's too controversial. It's, it's not what you ought to say. Well, why does he say it? And this is some difficult truth. He said it because that's exactly what they were when they asked the world to be their friend. They, they were meant for another. They were betrothed to another. And in a sense, they were wed to another. But they flirted dangerously with the world and they ended up in an adulterous relationship with the world. I would say, by the way, that 99% of all affairs, they probably begin with flirting. Men and women play at the edges of the flame, enjoying the excitement and the heat of the exchanges, and like moths drawn to the light, they don't realize that the light that they are drawn to has a flame, and it burns up their life and singes even those near to them. That's what friendship with the world will do for us. It promises wonderful things, and flirtation with the world is a dangerous thing to do. It won't leave it there. It'll often go to place where James calls us and these others he's writing to, you adulterous people. But this is how flirting with the world's friendship goes. It feels good in the beginning. The world feigning to be your friend, because it really isn't, tells you that you should have what it is that you want and it promises to give it to you. Because God will not walk with you as you walk with the world, you make one poor decision after another outside of his 
outside of his guidance and counsel. You're convinced by your new friend, the world, that everything is okay and you should just keep pursuing it, but he never provides what he promises. He never does. In seeking the limited things of the world, you find yourself in constant strife and continually fighting with others for, quote, what's yours, unquote. Now, if this describes you today, then I exhort you, instead of the world, to choose God as your friend. He will not do what the world will do. What he promises, he will provide. The world won't. But what God promises, he will provide. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And he will not lie to you. The world will lie to you. Do you want to know how the world is lying, as they say, that terrible joke about attorneys. I don't know that it's deserved. How do you know when an attorney is lying, their lips are moving? You wonder how the world is lying? Their lips are moving. That's what the friendship with the world will get you, is one lie after another, but not so with God. He's not going to lie to you. He will tell you life is going to be difficult. He has told us that. He will tell you that life here on this side of eternity is going to include burden and sorrow and grief and loss and pain. He's not hidden that from us. He's not withheld that information. He's not the, the big toothed, white grin, false prophet promising you that this life is going to be nothing but sunshine and roses. He's not promised any of that. He's told us the truth. He'll not tell you these things because he'll not tell you a lie. He will only tell you what's true because he knows that's what you need. You see, the world can never be fully honest with you. This friend that maybe you're courting, the world, can never be fully honest with you. It can't really tell you the truth. The world won't tell you that you'll never find what you're looking for. It won't. It'll just promise you one thing after another. The world won't tell you that the reason you're empty and life feels meaningless is because apart from God, that's exactly what it is. The world won't tell you that. God will. God has. God is always and will always be with you truthful. Men don't want to hear the truth sometimes, so they listen to the lies of the world. Those lies sound a lot better, a lot easier. They sound a lot simpler. They sound a lot less troublesome and problematic. But the problem with a lie is it's a lie and it's not real. But when we listen to the world and when men listen to the world, they befriend the world because the world has the story they want to believe despite all the evidence from their own lives and the lives of others that they're just listening to yet another lie. Don't fall for the lie of the world. Don't make the world your friend and God your enemy. Don't flirt with the world while claiming to be married to God. Don't do this. Choose who is your friend. And who is your friend today? And tomorrow when you awake, who will be my friend? Who am I going to walk with in this day and through this day? Who is your friend, the world or God? These two will not allow you to be friend to both. The world will tell you, in a sense, that he is fine with you being friendly with God. He's fine, the world is, with you coming to church on a Sunday. He's fine with you kind of playing at the edges and the fringes. But then God calls you to true friendship 
to forsake all and to follow him. And that's when you hesitate. And that's when you realize that these two, the world and God, they're on two sides of the room. And you, to be with one or the other, must choose. Because to try to walk down the middle is to be without either. To be double-minded, as James has already said, and unstable in all your ways. God simply tells us openly and plainly here, you can't be a friend, you cannot be a friend of the world and be my friend at the same time. And I know, again, that some think God is wrong in this. They'll even judge him wrong. We've been so conditioned to think in terms of we can have it all that any type of exclusive message that the Bible presents is almost instantly rejected. You'll be, you'll be even arguing with me or with the Scripture, no, I can have the world and God. I can. I have. You might even think that you have. But one day you will find that you haven't. So forsake all and follow Christ and make God your friend. And I will just close with this. What kind of friend would let you destroy your life? You think God would let you destroy your life or the world would let you destroy your life? God loves you too much to let you walk with one who simply wants to destroy you. And so he loves you enough to tell you the truth. I pray that the Lord's word would work into your hearts today and that we would each day awake if we've made God and God has become our friend and there was a moment when we became his follower and he changed our hearts and that change is still real today, I pray that we realize that the battles do still continue. They still rage as hotly, perhaps, as they ever have. The war has been won, but my life is not yet over and I must fight this battle anew every day. As Paul said, I die daily. So awake today. I pray that you awoke today and desired to make God your friend, I pray that you do the same tomorrow and the next day and every day that follows until he brings you home. If he's not yet your friend and you've never met him, you've never had peace with him, I pray that you would submit to him today. Today. Make him your friend and beg him to be your friend and to forgive you of the sin that you've sinned against him. You have to ask him for forgiveness for those sins and that sinfulness when he forgives you and he gives you peace and you're his friend from that day forward you have the opportunity to walk with him and to make him every day more and more your friend and the world less and less your friend pray that god will bless the word